I want to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 17 to 26. Luke 6, verse 17 to 26. And the theme I've chosen for this message is a life of blessing and cursing. Let us turn to the Lord once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for a new day and thank you that your mercies are new every morning and praise you that there is forgiveness with you so that you may be feared, that you are a God of mercy and comfort, that you are the God who shed the blood of your own Son, really you giving yourself, Father, in Christ so that we may be saved. And I pray that you would give us today ears to hear, just as you created eyes for the blind man, the man born blind in John 9. So I pray that you would create ears, spiritual ears for people to hear and for your very own children, Lord. Help us to understand, give us a heart to understand to love and to obey. Amen. The prosperity gospel, as most of you know, is a false message. The prosperity gospel teaches it is God's will for Christians to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous always. And we despise that message because it's not biblical. But you know, in essence, we, we sometimes say the same kind of thing. So if you've got money, and if you're healthy, then you tell people, oh, you know, I'm so blessed. God is blessing me. But what does that imply? What does that mean for the poor Christian? Or the Christian who is sick, does that mean they're not blessed? <laughs> does that mean they're cursed? So that is definitely not what Jesus means when he speaks of blessing and cursing. So what does he mean in this passage with blessing and cursing? Well, first of all, let's, let's look then at a life of blessing. Number one, a life of blessing. Verse 17 to 23. And Jesus came down and stood, with, uh, stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy. 
For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So where do you find this blessed life? Yesterday, <clears throat> Greg and I went into the streets, and for those listening to the recording and you not in our church, Greg is a new convert, a new Christian. And so him and I went into the streets to go and do evangelism. And as we started out, I said to him, Greg, just observe, watch me, watch what I do. And so I shared the gospel with the first person. And then I explained to him, right, you heard the guy said this, uh, this is our responder, this is why I did so, and so on. Got to the second person, did the same. And then as we moved on to the third person, I said to him, all right, when I ask the guy, I, you think you're a good person, is that why you're going to heaven? And if he says yes, then I'm going to say to him, all right, can I ask you a few questions to see if that's true? Uh, my friend Greg is going to ask you some questions. And so eventually Greg jumped in at the third person because the guy said, uh, no, I wouldn't say I'm a good person, but... But in the end, the guy actually did say, and Greg said, so you, so you think you're a good person? And Greg started asking him the questions of the law, using the scalpel of the law so we can get, uh, so that the guy can be convicted of his sin and we can move on to the gospel. So it was really on-the-job training for Greg. And that's what Jesus did with the apostles. That's how he taught them. So after he chose the apostles in the previous verses, last week's text, he now starts teaching them through his own example. He's going to send them out, but they must first learn. They must observe. In Mark 3 verse 14 it says, Jesus chose the, the apostles that they could be with him. They must be with him. And then he'll send them out to preach and cast out demons and so on. And the lesson for us, obviously, is to do the same. So take this new disciple and then show him how to obey the commands of Jesus. Uh, Matthew 28, teaching them to observe what, whatsoever I have commanded you, all that I have commanded you. So you must be able to say to the new Christian, follow my example or follow me as I follow Christ, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. So don't, don't put him in a classroom, lock him up in a classroom and he has to just listen to a lecture or you, he has to teach himself. No, take him with you. When you go cycling, take him with you when you go to Builder's Warehouse so that he can see what a Christian testimony looks like, how a Christian acts in different situations. And then also share the gospel with him, oh, not with him, share the gospel in front of him. So you've got him alongside you, you share the gospel in front of him so he can see this is how it's done. That's what Jesus did in verse 17 to 90. So Jesus comes down from the mountain. He was on the mountain in verse 12, praying all night. Now he comes down from the mountain in verse 17, stands on a level place uh, where he can teach his disciples. And there's also this crowd that says in verse 17. Uh, and verse 18 tells you why they're there. They want to hear the teaching of Jesus. Uh, and also verse 18 says they are bringing sick people. They want the sick to be healed. They want Jesus to touch the sick and cast out demons. 
And so many touch Jesus, verse 19. They just want to touch Jesus because power is going out from him, it says, and everyone who touched him is healed. So this is people who are desperate. They, they believe Jesus can heal me. And as soon as they touch Jesus, and obviously Jesus is willing to heal them, and then they do get healed, like the woman in Luke 8, where she touches Jesus and she's healed. And that's also where we're going to find the blessed life. A life of blessing is found only in Christ. Now, you, you and I, we can't, we can't touch Jesus, but we can lay the hand of prayer on his throne. Uh, we can grab hold of Christ by faith. And obviously we shouldn't seek him only for physical healing, for the healing of our bodies, but the healing of the body is part of the, the grace God gives, one of the gifts he gives. In verse 18, you see, he healed their diseases. He cast out demons. All who touched him were healed. Now the question is, the great question, why doesn't God bless all his children in this way? Why aren't all Christians healed when they're sick? And the reason is because sometimes God wants to give us greater blessings. Like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 to 10. We don't know what the problem was, but he has this thorn in the flesh. Um, he's got this problem. It's, it's bothering him. It's irritating him. It's giving him trouble. And he prays about it and said, Lord, remove it. Lord, take it away. Lord, take it away. Three times. And God eventually says, no, I'm not taking this problem away, Paul. Because my grace is sufficient for you. I'll give you greater blessings, spiritual blessings. I'll form you through this. I'll form your character. And so on. I'll get to that later on. Sometimes God even allows the believer to die of sickness. So he allows a sick person to die because he wants to give him the even greater blessing, the greatest blessing of going to heaven and seeing Christ's glory. John 17 verse 24. So whether you're healthy or whether you're sick, if you're a child of God, then God wants to bless you. And so if it's going to mean that you're sick, then this blessing that God is giving you, it includes spiritual growth. It includes a deeper experience of His love. It includes being prepared for heaven. Psalm 119 verse 67 and 71 the psalmist speaks of his own suffering and says, it's good that I suffered in this way. It's good that I was afflicted. Now I keep your law. Now I've learned more in your word. Or Romans 5, our suffering produces character and so on. Or Romans 8, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Those who are called according to his purpose. And then verse 29, what is that good that he's working in our lives? He's making us more like his son. And then God makes us look forward to heaven. He makes us look forward to a new earth where there will never be sickness again and never be death again. According to Isaiah 33, 24 and Revelation 21, verse 4. For instance, last Sunday in a friend of mine's church, one of their, their elderly members literally became deaf overnight in both her ears. She couldn't hear at all. Very, very, very faintly. and But she came to church last Sunday because she wanted to use the Lord's Supper. And she said to my friend, Pastor, he was, he was sitting next to her she, uh, before the service began. She said, Pastor, you must shout in this ear. You must speak very loudly right in this ear. I can't hear you. Anyway, while the service was going on, 
they had a time of prayer during the service, just praying for different matters and different people. And while they were praying, she put up her hand and God had healed her in an instant. Suddenly she could hear in both ears, perfect hearing, nothing wrong with her hearing. Wow. So now we ask, why doesn't that happen with all Christians? Well, I think I answered the question. God doesn't always do it that way. Sometimes believers even die of their illness. But then it's still a blessing. It's still a blessing because that Christian goes to be with the Lord. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Why is it gain? Philippians 1.21, why is it gain? Because of Philippians 1 verse 23. I will be with Christ. It is far better to be with Christ. I'm going to be with Him then. And isn't that the greatest blessing anyone can have on earth? Is to go and be with Christ. No more of this world with tears and pain and suffering and sickness and sin and death. So, so, so the, the Christian lying on his deathbed can say, I am blessed. I'm going to be with Christ. So what does this blessed life look like? So now we've seen where do you find it? You find it at Jesus. And then secondly, what does it look like? Uh, this is only subsection, right? So the first point is the blessed life, the uh, life of blessing. The second one, life of cursing or curses. So this blessed life, what does it look like? Uh, there's something called liberation theology. <clears throat> that is That is people who believe that the, the minority groups and the oppressed groups are really those we should focus on. Uh, so that would mean people who are not white people, uh, not rich people, not men, so it would be women, poor people, and anyone who's not white. They are the less privileged, and we should give our attention to them. And really, it's not about the gospel, this teaching, this uh, liberation theology. It's all about social work. It's all about social action. So it's simply about, uh, you know, getting these people who are oppressed to a higher plane, getting them on an equal plane, or maybe even uh, placing them above those who are now the supreme. You know, they speak of in politics of white supremacy or of uh, we need the drive of feminism. Uh, women's rights, women's liberation, and so on. Well, that is not at all what Jesus means in these verses. You know, as if it's almost a crime to uh, be white, or it's a crime to be a man, or it's a crime to be rich. This is not what Jesus means in these verses. So, I read this earlier on, but let me explain it now. How do I know this is not what Jesus means, this liberation theology? Why? Because in verse 20, he says, He lifted up his eyes on the disciples and said. So he's speaking to disciples. He's speaking to those who follow him, to those who learn from him. So here it's about people who are hungry and sad and persecuted because and poor because of their loyalty to Jesus. It's not just poor people in general, hungry people in general, 
suffering people in general, sad people in general, persecuted people in general. This is for Christians. These are believers who are in these circumstances. And so that's what it's about. And it's also about people who are spiritually hungry and spiritually poor. I'm going to prove that to you in a moment. The Bible definitely doesn't teach us you are blessed and you are on your way to heaven simply because you don't have bank, uh, money in the bank. So the first one in verse 20 is, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor. Uh, Martin Luther's very last words on his deathbed were, We are beggars. This is true. This is what Jesus means in this passage. This verse has got nothing to do with material prosperity, with uh, prosperity in terms of money or blessing in terms of money as the prosperity preachers believe. I remember seeing a Range Rover once in Elberton and in the back window it had a sticker, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs in all your needs, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then at the top of the sticker or the bottom of the sticker, it said, there is no recession in Jesus Christ. Or I saw a BMW X5 once in Boxburg with Matthew 6 verse 33 in red letters on the back window. But seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, and these was underlined, all these things will be added to you. That's not what, what this means. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. You'll have the kingdom, you'll have riches. It's not talking about earthly riches and earthly kingdom. These people who get the spiritual riches... They are those who are spiritually poor in verse 20. Because the kingdom they receive is a spiritual kingdom. Yes, it's a real kingdom. But it's not an earthly kingdom. This is talking about heavenly riches. And so these are the spiritually poor. These are people who realize, I cannot earn God's riches. I cannot earn heaven. I cannot earn God's grace. I cannot earn God's favor. The parallel in Matthew 5 verse 3, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You've got an example of this. Um, David, he's a very rich king in the Old Testament. And yet David says in Psalm 86 verse 1, I am poor and needy. He's not talking about I don't have money. He's talking about, I am spiritually poor. I realize I am nothing before this great God. I cannot add anything. I cannot bring anything to earn his favor. And then also in verse 20, Jesus is talking about people when he says the poor. Jesus is talking about people who are willing to give up everything to follow Christ. Jesus said, if you are not Willing to give up all your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. Luke 14.33 Or the rich young ruler, Jesus said, even the disciples, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell everything and follow me. 
but the disciples, they said, Lord, we left everything to follow you. Or in Hebrews 10, people, they, the Christians, their property was taken from them because they served Christ. Or in James 2 verse 5, he speaks of people who are poor, yes, materially poor, um, because they're following Christ. Or Revelation 2 verse 9, same thing. So these are the, the blessed ones. These are the blessed poor he's talking about. And to them belongs the kingdom of God. So is this kingdom yours? Is this kingdom yours? Are you willing to give up everything to follow Jesus? Are you willing to sell everything to become a missionary if Jesus wants that from you? Are you willing to remain single, to remain unmarried, to go and serve the Lord Jesus Christ in a persecuted country? Will you, will you quit your job, resign from your job to become a pastor if this is the Lord's will for you? Are you willing to follow Christ if it means that your friends and your family will write you off if you do so? That's the question. And then another test to know, do you have the kingdom of God? Because it's the, the poor, the spiritually poor number one and then those who are willing to give up everything. So are, are you a person you realize, I can add nothing to the finished work of Christ. I cannot bring anything to impress God or to please God. I cannot do anything to earn His favor, earn His grace, to earn heaven. Well, if so, verse 20 says, Blessed are the poor, you spiritually poor, according to Matthew. Yours is the kingdom of God. And then blessed are the hungry, verse 21a. I told you two weeks ago that my family and I, during our family devotions, we're reading the autobiography of a Bulgarian pastor called Haralan Popov. He was in prison during the, the years of communism in Bulgaria. And they were on a starvation diet in prison. They got one slice of bread a day. One slice. And then this something called soup, but it wasn't soup, it was just flavored water. Watery soup. And they were so hungry when they had to dig trenches during the day, they would try and just bend down and pick a handful of grass and shove it in their mouth and eat grass. And if they were caught, they were shot dead on the spot. And then at one point he speaks of how they got soup one day, this water, and one of the prisoners got a bean in his soup. And they were all amazed. They were so glad for this guy. You got a bean. You got a bean. <laughs> wow. This is the kind of hungry person Jesus says in verse 21. If you're hungry now, you will be satisfied. You are the blessed one. Blessed are you if you're hungry. This is, this is the kind of person who's got a spiritual hunger after Jesus, the bread of life. Uh, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew 5, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me, believe in me, eat from me. This is, this is the bread we should eat. And Jesus promises in verse 21, you shall be satisfied. I will satisfy your hunger. And I, I hope that's a comfort. If there's anyone here or anyone listening, you, you have this desire in you, you want to be a child of God, but you don't know how, and it feels like heaven is silent, and you're praying and you're talking to God, but it feels as if there's no answer at the moment, and you desperately want to be born again. 
You want to eat of the bread of life. You want to eat of Christ. You want to be satisfied with Him. Then I want to tell you, remind the Lord of verse 21. Say to Him, Lord, You have said, if I'm hungry, You will satisfy me. You have said, if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, You will satisfy me. You have said, if I seek You, You will still my hunger. And even, even if you're a Christian, you desire a deeper walk with God, you want more of Christ, then remind the Lord of Psalm 37 verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. I desire you, God. Satisfy my thirst. Quench my thirst. Still my hunger. Please, verse 21, You've said if I hunger for you, you will satisfy me. You will be my bread. And yet, even if He does satisfy you, I do want to tell you, there will still be times in this life where the hunger is there, where you have this longing for Christ, a hunger for Christ. You want more. You don't feel Him near. Only when you get to heaven. Once you get to heaven, the hunger pains will disappear, disappear finally and completely. Because then you will be with Christ. Your hunger will be satisfied. Verse 21. Blessed are those who weep. Also verse 21. Uh, Thomas Watson, an English preacher in the 1600s, he said, A godly man is an evangelical weeper. What does that mean? Well, what Thomas Watson means is what Jesus means here. Blessed are those who weep. For you shall laugh. So the weeping here is a weeping for sin. It's a weeping because our sin grieves God. Blessed are those who mourn, Matthew 5, verse 4. There's, there's, a re, there's a sorrow for sin, 2 Corinthians 7, 11. There's a sorrow because I've grieved the Holy Spirit. I've made Him sad by my sin, Ephesians 4, verse 30. There's a weeping and a mourning for sin. James 5, verse 9, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. There's also a weeping and a sorrow for the world's sin, for the sin we see around us. There's this longing. I wish for heaven where everyone is holy. Psalm 119 verse 136, where he says, My eyes shed, there's streams of tears running from my eyes, because the wicked do not keep your law. And then there's a sighing. In general, just the sighing over sin. This weeping over sin, um, in general, the weeping over the consequences of sin in this world. There's sickness and there's death. Like Jesus, a man of sorrows, or Jesus sighing when he heals a deaf man, or Jesus weeping at Lazarus's grave, or creation groaning in Romans 8. And we, as Christians, we groan, we sigh, we weep, we mourn. Because we're longing for a new earth where there's no more sickness and death and sin and all of this. Do you weep like this? Do you sigh for your own sin and you have this desire, just wish I can be free from this sin forever. And finally, God will remove it. Or do you enjoy sin? Do you look forward to sinning? Does the sin of the world, does it weigh heavy on your shoulders and you weep for it, you sigh because of the sin in this world? 
Do you sigh over the corruption in South Africa and, and the rest of the world, the materialism, the transgender or the homosexual agenda? And they're so aggressive and putting people in prison if you don't agree with them. And you just wish Jesus would come again. You know, if you really sigh over sin and you weep for sin, Jesus says, you shall laugh. Jesus will wipe the tears from your eyes. You will laugh. He will take you to a place called heaven. Take you to a place where there are no more tears. Revelation 7.17 Blessed are you who are persecuted, verse 22 and 23. A number of years ago, we had to remove one of our church members for unrepentant sin. And the guy turned the whole thing around. He didn't have a sorrowful attitude about his sin. He excused his sin. He justified his sin. And then... He made, in the end, he twisted the thing as if he were the victim. And we are the perpetrators. He even wrote me a letter saying, I forgive you. Where he really was the one who needed to repent for his sin. You are not blessed if you are persecuted for sin. So when Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, spurn your name as evil, and so on. It's not because you're busy sinning and now you are persecuted for it. 1 Peter 2 verse 20, 1 Peter 4 verse 15. Don't suffer as a, as a disobedient person or a liar or someone meddling in others of other people's business or uh, you're a thief and that kind of thing. What Jesus is talking about here, you are persecuted for the Son of Man, he says in verse 22. You're persecuted because you're a Christian. That's why they kick you out of the synagogue. John 9 verse 22. That, that is why in 1 Peter 4 verse 14, they spurn your name as evil because you're a Christian. They blaspheme the good name of Christian. So don't say, I'm being persecuted for the gospel, but actually the reason is you don't want to do your job. You've got a bad attitude or you refuse to submit to authority. You should rather be the person. You are not invited to the braai because you don't want to drink like the rest. Or you're that person in the office. Everyone gossips about you. Why? Because you love Christ. Because Jesus is number one in your life. Or you don't get the job. Or you don't make the sports team because you want to be in church on Sunday. Jesus says in verse 22, you are blessed when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. You are the blessed one. Matthew 5 says the same. And he says in verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Jump for joy. Why? Well, he says in verse 23, for your reward is great in heaven. He will reward you. Matthew 5.12 says the same. That's what the apostles did. When they were beaten in Acts 5, they rejoiced. They were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Or Paul and Silas in prison. They were singing psalms and hymns. They were praising God. They are counted worthy to suffer for Christ. So don't just, don't just 
look to, oh, I see these people all around me and they're mocking me and they're rejecting me and they're gossiping about me. No, look at the reward to come. Look, look at heaven. Heaven is coming. God is going to reward you. You'll be in heaven where no one will ever curse you again, where no one will ever push you out and reject you again. And please remember, you're not the first person this has happened to. In the Old Testament, the prophets were rejected. They suffered for the Lord, verse 23 at the end. So their fathers did to the prophets. So if you're mocked for the gospel, you're rejected for the gospel, well, you're in good company. You're in good company. They did the same to the prophets. And obviously, as you know, they did the same to Jesus. So this is the true blessing. This is the true blessed life. Not to have lots of money and to be successful and, and prosperous in this world, but to suffer for the name of Jesus in all these ways, verse 20 to 23. So Bushiri and Joel Osteen and Leon de Priya and whatever other prosperity preacher, Benny Hinn, name all those guys, they don't understand the first thing about blessing. We have the true blessing, according to Jesus in these verses. Number two, so that's a life of blessing, number one. Number two, a life of cursing or a life of curses. Verse 24 to 26, read with me. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall go be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. How do, you, how do you view it when you see this Christian and everything is just going wrong in this person's life? How do you view it? Now some people would say, oh, you know, it's a bloodline curse. Or someone else has cursed him. They, they must go for deliverance, deliverance ministries. Uh, or some, someone will say, no, God is punishing them. That's why all these things, you know, if you're Job's friend, you'll say that kind of thing. According to the Bible, a Christian is always blessed, always blessed, even when things go wrong in their lives. As I just read in the, the previous passage, verse 20 to 23, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, blessed are you who weep. Everything's going wrong. Blessed are you, people hate you, exclude you. Everything's going wrong. Jesus says you're blessed. If you're a Christian, that's happening to you, you're blessed. The cursed people are those, they want everything in this life. So luxury and money and satisfaction and pleasure and popularity and success, they want it all and they want it now. Those are the cursed people. Those are the kinds of people of whom Jesus says in verse 24, 25, 26, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Trouble is coming. Why? It's like Jesus is feeling sorry for these people. He says, I feel sorry for you because this world is all you have. When you die, you're going to lose everything. So the first group is woe to the rich. <coughs> verse 24 says that. Woe to the rich. I saw a documentary on YouTube about a very rich guy in South Africa, he is 19 billion rand strong. That's a lot of money. 19 billion rand. And you see his house, it's 3,000 square meters. He's got this under, uh, underground garage full of the most expensive cars, sports cars, luxury cars, 
um, very rich man, and it's almost tragic if you look at all his riches. Now, I'm not trying to say God is against money. God is not against money. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you've got a number of rich believers like Abraham and Isaac and Job and King David and King Hezekiah and even Joseph of Arimathea who buried Jesus, was a rich man, says Matthew 27, 57. Uh, Lydia, she was a seller of purple in Acts 16. She was a rich woman and she provided the missionaries of a place to stay and food and so on. So God is not against money. <clears throat> the problem is when you chase money. The problem is if, is if you start seeking your happiness in money. If it becomes your idol, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, uh, the love of money, 1 Timothy 6, the desire to be rich, <clears throat> 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 and 10, go read those verses. So Jesus says, for those people, you have received your consolation, verse 24. What does that mean? Like in Luke 16, you had your happiness in life when you were still on the earth, Luke 16, verse 25. Now you are in the fires of hell, where here's Lazarus, he suffered on earth, but now he is comforted. So in other words, you clung to your riches. That was all you wanted. And so now you've missed Jesus and you've missed heaven. Like in Luke 18, verse 18 to 25, the rich young ruler. He didn't want Jesus. He wanted his money. And so that's what he got, his money. And that's all. You get nothing more. So don't allow, don't allow the, the riches of this world to hypnotize you and to bedazzle you. There's, there's a lot of things even in this world money can't buy. Money can't buy you a good night's nice rest. It can't buy you health. It can't buy you a happy family. It can't buy you peace or wisdom or a good reputation. I've got a number of cross-references here. It says all of those things. Martin Luther said, Wealth is the smallest thing on earth. It's the least gift that God has bestowed on mankind. Yet men are so eager after money, wealth that no labor or pains or risk is regarded in the getting of riches. People will do anything to get money. And then Luther says, Our Lord God commonly gives riches to those from whom he withholds spiritual good. <clears throat> End quote. Leon Morris says, When all that anyone has is worldly wealth, he is poor indeed. So seek heavenly riches. That's what you must chase. Don't just spend your whole life running around for money you're going to lose. For riches you're going to lose. You're going to die. You'll take nothing with you. Nothing. Rather use your earthly riches to do good to the poor and to expand the kingdom of God, to extend the kingdom of God. Then you'll have riches in heaven. Luke 12, 33, 1 Timothy 6, verse 18 and 19. Woe to you who are satisfied. That's also in verse 25. <clears throat> My friend Seth and I once went into a shop to buy ice cream, and Seth spoke to the guy about Christ and invited him to church, and the man said, no, no, no. He interrupted. He said, no. And then he pointed to the top of a cupboard. There was a beer bottle. He said, that is my master. That's what satisfied the guy. That's what brought him happiness in life. And these are the kinds of people that don't have an appetite for Jesus. 
They are satisfied with the things of this world. Verse 25, Woe to you who are full now. That's their satisfaction. But if death takes you away, then you have nothing to satisfy you. Nothing. You shall be hungry, verse 25. You lose it all. For instance, let's take the alcoholic again, the drunkard. He will be hungry when he dies. He will be thirsty when he's in hell. He will have this, this lust for alcohol, this desire for alcohol, but he will not have a single drop. He's had it all. So what are you seeking your fulfillment in? Where are you seeking your fulfillment? What are you looking to to make you happy? If it's not Jesus, you have a problem, a big problem, because you shall be hungry forever. Woe to those who laugh, verse 25b. I remember when I went to Taiwan in 2007, I, went, I visited a missionary there, and then OMF, the Missionary Society, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, when they interview missionaries, they ask you, do you have a sense of humor? Now, why in the world would they ask that? Because you work in a different culture and you need to be able to laugh at your mistakes, to laugh at yourself when you do something, oh, it didn't really, these people misunderstood me, my culture is different from theirs. If, if you're going to sit in a corner and pout and lick your wounds and feel sorry for yourself because people misunderstood you, you're not going to make it on the mission field. What I'm trying to tell you is Christians can laugh. God is not against laughing. God, uh, laughing is a gift from God. Um, even when Isaac was born, his name Isaac means laughter. God has given laughter. In uh, Ecclesiastes it says there's a time to laugh. And God gives laughter in Ecclesiastes 10 verse 19 and Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4. You see, the problem is when people laugh about things they should be weeping about. And that is obviously their sin. That is God's judgment. They should weep about those things. And that's the woe to you who laugh now. They should weep for their sin. Like James 4 verse 9 says, but they don't. And so when Jesus comes, their weeping or their laugh, laughter will be turned to weeping. It will turn into tears. Because hell is even called a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in our verse 25b, Woe to you, laugh now, you shall mourn and weep. Oh, those people will no longer laugh at Christ. They will no longer laugh at sin. They will no longer laugh at the warnings of God. Finally, woe to you who want to be popular. Woe to those who want to be popular. That's in verse 26. I remember before I went into the ministry, before I started my theological studies, my pastor told me, I want to warn you against the three F's in ministry, female, fame, and finance. Be careful of those temptations. And one of those is fame. Uh, you know, this, the seeking after popularity has brought in many a man to fall, has caused many a man to fall. Those who climb highest will fall furthest, and they will fall hard. So let us not seek the praise of men. As Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Jeremiah 45 verse 5. God shares his glory with no one. 
So woe to those. Woe to you if you want to be popular, verse 26 says. Because you'll start serving people. You'll start doing anything you can to please people, to earn their favor, to win their applause. And when you become a servant of people, you are no longer a servant of Christ. Galatians 1 verse 10. And then you're like the false prophets. You never want to offend anyone. You want everyone to like you. Verse 26. So their fathers did to the false prophets. Isaiah 30 verse 10. Jeremiah 5 31. Micah 2 verse 11. Anything. I want people to like me. And it works this way not only in ministry. It works this way even where you work in the workplace. People want others to like them. And if you're not like that, and you're someone, you're honest in your business, you don't gossip with the rest, or get drunk with them, or swear with them, people on the job, people working with you, you don't sleep around, you're not one of those chasing money, then they will persecute you. Verse 22. They will hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil. Jesus said this will happen in John 15, verse 18 to 20. If they persecute Christ, they're going to persecute you. They're going to push you out. They're going to mock you. 1 Peter 4, verse 3 and 4. Why? Because you don't sin with them. And if they don't do this to you, if they don't mock you and all of this and reject you, well, the only reason is because you're part of them. You're not shining a light, and the light doesn't bother them. So in, in, in all truth... You should be happy. Jesus says if verse, verse 26 doesn't happen to you, if everyone praises you, and no, no, be happy if it happens to you as it happened to the pastor in England th three weeks ago, where this pastor in England was put in prison because he preached and said that the Bible says in Genesis a man and a woman should be married. They put him in prison. Because now he's offended the homosexuals. They're going to do the same to you. You say homosexuality is wrong and the Bible is right. But Jesus says, be happy. Blessed are you, verse 22. Blessed are you. Verse 23, rejoice. I would rather let the world curse me and the Lord bless me than the other way around. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Heavenly Father, Thank you again for bringing us together this morning and for giving us the bread of life, for giving us yourself, for giving us your son and for feeding us and satisfying our hunger with the bread of Jesus Christ, with the riches of Jesus Christ, the wealth of Jesus Christ, the spiritual riches of heaven. And we pray that you would encourage your suffering people. In Jesus' name, amen.